This is Billy Rowe from Jetboy, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Steve and Hollywood. Now crank that shit up. there growing up rock listeners in true growing up rock fashion i am flying solo for this episode and having a chat with jeff boy guitarist billy Rowe to discuss the new jet boy album rock and roll relic guitars and why billy just can't seem to pick a favorite kiss song what's up with that there are so few <laughs> but we get into all that as the interview progresses jet boy busted onto the scene in 88 with their debut album feel the shake the first single of the same name got pretty good exposure and play at the time making the band kind of seem destined for great things but we all know the story record company issues timing and things just don't quite go your way and before you know it any leverage you had is all but gone despite the fact that this band was closely tied to guns and roses at the time and they had a pretty good foundation with Feel the Shake, the band fell short of gaining the success of some of their contemporaries. All that being said, it's 30-plus years later, and the band's core of Mickey Finn, Billy Rowe, and Fernie Rod are still cranking out kick-ass rock and roll music, and that has never been more evident than with the 2019 release of Born to Fly on Frontiers Records. They're first with Frontiers Records, as a matter of fact. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation, and if you're digging what you're hearing, get off your asses, get out there and support live and recorded rock and roll music. Go see Jet Boy live, and go pick up some or all of the band's catalog, including the latest album, Born to Fly. Enjoy! Welcome to the Growing Up Rock Podcast, Jet Boy guitarist, Billy Rowe. What's going on, Billy? How you doing, Steve? I'm moving along here. I'm doing well, man. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us. Yeah, well, I love talking about rock. I'm a rock and roll geek myself, so I could do this all day long, and I could do it again the next week and talk about the same shit. (laughs) (laughs) I have a theory that, you know, because I think there's two types of people. I think there are people that are avid music lovers and geeks like myself and you, and then I think there are people that 
if you ask anybody whether they like music, they'll all tell you they like music. But I think there are people that, you know, they're kind of like, eh, if it's on, it's on. If it's not, it's not. And I couldn't tell you right. who's in what band. I just, I like this song. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot, I, I totally get it. There's a lot of people like that. I was always one who just dove deep into it, to the liner notes and who played what, who wrote what, who wore what. You know, I mean, I could, you know, dissect album covers on what shoes they're wearing. So, <laughs> And I think I'm the same exact way. I think uh, mm-hmm. all musicians, to a point, are that way because you chose a path for yourself that, you know, went down that row of guitar playing or uh, writing music and playing music. And I think to get to that point, you have to be kind of a music geek, so to speak, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Totally agree. So Jet Boy is celebrating technically roughly 36 years since the formation in 83. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, Yeah. I know. It's kind of nuts. It is nuts. (laughs) So the band put out their debut album in 88. That's a pretty good run for the most part. It's been you and Fernie and Mickey. And you guys, you continue from what is considered the classic lineup. Now, I know Mickey has kind of been in and out, but you and Fernie have always been there, correct? Yeah, Fernie and I have been there since day one. And, and Mick's, I, you know, I guess he wasn't in and out. There was a minute that he was out due to reasons of a, a tour and, you know, fulfilling it and whatever. We did what we thought was the right thing to do. But Fernie and I formed the band and you know, back in 83 when we met, had the same likeness of, kind of the underground stuff, discovered a lot of stuff together, like Hanoi Rocks and bands like that, Lords of the Church and all that. And then just, you know, there was a whole scene bubbling on the underground of what was becoming mainstream at the time, which was like Motley Crue and Rat and, you know, Dokken and stuff like that on the level, you know, on the American soil or whatever. But we were, we were very into stuff from overseas, from England, like Hanoi Rocks and Girl and Lords of the Church. What about the... um New wave of British heavy metal. Any effect on you guys with like the Saxons and UFOs and stuff? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, for me, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, which, you know, most people who are hardcore fans of that, that is the target that the new wave of British heavy metal basically infected massively. San Francisco, Oakland, the whole Bay Area. Because, of course, you know, bands like Metallica and Testament and Exodus and violence and you know death angel and all that so i was deep into it you know my best friend who's still one of my closest friends to this day he went back to england for a summer vacation before we went into high school in 1980 and he came back and discovered saxon motorhead and we just got deep into that and it just from there on you know you know ufo we had already been into and scorpions and stuff but it was really you know the new wave of british happy metal which was like you know tank <laughs> and uh, yeah, like you know, you know more and uh, Tigers of Pantay right. and uh, Holocaust and you know I mean deep stuff. You oh know? yeah, for that sure. Was, that was all in Kerrang, you know. And and our good friends were, you know, you know, we used to go hang out at this park in Golden Gate, a portion of Golden Gate Park, and and uh, drink beer and listen to this stuff. And it was like along with one of those guys was Ron Quintana, and he's you know he's quite well known because he he gave Metallica the name Metallica for the band. Ian Callen and a couple of these other guys who had this radio show in San Francisco called Rampage Radio, which really 
blew up bands like Motorhead and Saxon and Merciful Fate when they came to America. San Francisco was just like this enormous place for them to play because the crowds were bigger than anywhere else. So I was really into all that. Yeah, no doubt. So that's that's a long-winded answer, but that's, again, I can get into this stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I've got time if you've got time. The tape is rolling, yeah. we can do whatever. But being that you three guys have been together for a good period of time now at this point, what is it that's kind of kept you guys going or at least coming back to each other? Because nowadays, there's one original guy in the band, and that's it. But with you guys... I mean, you know, you, the core is there, basically. Yeah, you know, it's been a struggle. We didn't, we didn't do anything for a long time, and and I don't know if it's really the big part of it is when the three of us sit down and we work on songs and come up with stuff. There's just this, this natural energy that flows, and I don't know if it if it's from the history or if it's from, you know, it, it was there from day one. But we really recognized it after we got back together of not being a band for many, many years. Right. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, another part of it maybe is because we didn't hit some of the successful heights of a lot of our peers did, you know. And so we still have this a certain amount of hunger still in us, you know. But we're all passionate for music and things have gotten better for us, really, you know, when it comes to writing or just overall dealing with each other you know it's not that it's always rosy you know so well that probably comes with age don't you think as we get older yeah i think so yeah i I agree it comes with age i mean there's still those things that you know why is he stirs coffee to the left and not the right you know but whatever you know (laughs) okay yeah that's normal right (laughs) yeah that that is actually normal i agree yeah so yeah (laughs) So let's start with some early memories. You mentioned earlier that you're a Bay Area guy. I'm guessing that you saw a lot of great shows growing up in that area. Yeah, I did. Day on the Greens, I'm Mm -hmm. betting. Big time. Yeah, absolutely. Give me some of your favorite memories from the Day on the Greens. What are some of your favorite Day on the Greens shows that you saw? Um, well, you know, I saw a few of them. I didn't see as many as I wish I saw, but the big one that stands out for me is of course my first show. And it was in 77 with, it was, uh, the Eagles headlining. It would have been hotel California and then Steve Miller, Hart, Atlantic rhythm section and foreigner. So this would have been, this has been foreigners first record. They were the opening band and Hart Crazy. Was on, you know, supporting little queen and, Steve Miller, Fly Like an Eagle, and I was really into Steve Miller. I was into the Eagles and Hart and all that, but I, I may have just discovered Hart by going to that show and Foreigner. Wow. So that was like a huge, that was a big one for me. Yeah. Just because, you know, just experiencing that whole that whole thing, you know. I love the Eagles. Love the Eagles. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, my second one is probably the one that really shaped me, not realizing about it, it shaped me as just... I don't know how I became as a guitar player, what, what my style has become. It would be, and I went, it was Aerosmith headlining and I was super into Aerosmith and I went mainly because of that, but I also it was Pat Travers, Foreigner, ACDC and Van Halen. Holy so shit. That, that would have been 1978. <laughs> so that was like Van Halen open. That was like the first album. And I think, I think ACDC was either supporting Powerage or if you want blood was about to come out. Oh Something my God. Like that. Yeah. Uh, right now, I envy you quite a bit. <laughs> Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. 
That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Yeah, that was like a huge one. And uh, I remember well, because Angus would go out in the audience and I was on stage left and, you know, all of a sudden this commotion. And I was a kid. I was with my good friend Alex, who my guitar mentor, and he was a couple years older than me, whatever. We're still great friends today. And then all of a sudden, this fucking dude just lands like nearly right in front of me with his SG. And I'm just like, holy fuck, who's that? And then you know, I was like, Angus got on the guy's shoulders and went around the stadium. And that just like was like, wow, wow, <laughs> heavy duty. Very, very cool. So my co-host yeah. who couldn't be here with us today is a Bay Area guy as well. And I have to hear mm-hmm. all the time about all the amazing shows that he saw at all the clubs, the Stone and mm-hmm. all these different yeah. clubs. Oh, yeah. The old Waldorf, the, the Wolfgangs, <laughs> and yeah, Keystone Berkeley, Keystone Palo Alto, and the Stone in the city. It was, it was a huge scene in the Bay Area. Yeah, he talks about it often. He's quite a few years, I think, behind you and I, but he still saw a lot of great stuff, and he talks about that quite a bit. Did you see any ridiculously amazing club shows that stick out to you? Uh, well, for me, that was too. When I started going to clubs, it was pretty early on. It would have been like 81. So right in the high school or 80, 81. I think my first club show was Rick Derringer. Uh-huh. Who, uh, what was the album? Uh, Guitars and Women. Oh yeah. yeah. He yeah, was yeah. a, I was a big fan of, uh, he was a big influence on me, guitar player. But I think it really was Motley Crue for the Too Fast, you know, leather records version when they came up to san francisco to play it was a show that i was pumped to see i got that record when it came out saw it in kerrang and wore the hell out of it and right you know me and all these few bunch of friends we all went to see him and that was pretty amazing i was i, I just i just knew then i'm like wow these this band's gonna be big right you know so that was a, that was a turning one but i saw a lot of the bands like that you know the ramones and clubs and, and uh, the alarm really was in the alarm and you know, Wasp, and uh, those are some of the ones that were just, you know. All the good shit. I think you uh, yeah. uh, you may have mentioned on another show that you actually saw Metallica with Mustang. Is that right? Yeah, I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. I think I saw him at the Stone when Kurt joined the band, and then I saw him previous to that with Mustang. It was at the Mabuhay Gardens, I believe. Yeah. And I used to, there used to be a thing called Metal Mondays at this club called uh, the Old Waldorf, which was Bill Graham's club. And it would, it'd have Metal Mondays, and it would be always like a local metal band either supporting somebody like the motley crew was a metal monday or like that band heaven played and and there would be openers and one of the openers i remember seeing was trauma which was cliff burton's band yeah you know and he was and he really was that back then you know he was like the bell bottoms had that that thing going even then which was really not that many years before he joined metallica but yeah interesting there was a huge huge scene that bay area had a huge scene it's just if you really think about it there's a lot of big bands that changed the face of just music in the bay area was it a big decision for you guys to relocate to la after you i think you guys relocated once you got signed to Elektra, right or was that be before yeah no once we got signed and we knew we were signing the deal we moved our management was down here and of course the label and we were the one band from our scene that kind of led the pack of that whole over-the-top glam shit and within a year of playing just the clubs in San Francisco, we made our way down to L.A. Yeah. And we started playing in L.A. a lot. And so we became good friends with all the bands and the clubs and the bookers and blah, 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 people who did the clubs. And it just became a better place for us in a lot of ways. Right. 
And so when we got signed, we just, it just made sense. It's like, you know, our manager encouraged it and, and it was the right thing to do. I, I would not change that at all. You know, I think it was the right decision. I yep. think it really, we might not have hit the height of some of our, our friends did, but all those people were all still friends. You know, so. Right on. So we all know that some of the names responsible for getting you started down the path of guitars and rock and roll were guys like Ace and Malcolm Young and Joe Peary, mm-hmm. Keith Richards, Rick Nielsen, those guys. Yeah, yeah, big time. That being said, was there a defining moment, perhaps an album or a concert or a song or a band that made you stand up and yell, yeah, baby, I'm in it to win it, <laughs> and just yeah. and just start down that path? Yeah, it was a combination of all those shows, and it was, a you know, just seeing those bands live, you know, but I think a lot of it for me, and I think a lot of other people, was really the magazines and the records and just digging deep into the imagery of what rock and roll was all about when you were a kid. So certain guitar players just, I just completely was mesmerized over. And a lot of them were, you know, just really straightforward rock and roll, less is more type playing guitar players. Not that I don't like Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rose, because I'm huge fans of that stuff too. But I just for myself and what, you know, what I gravitated to of wanting to play was more the Malcolm Young and Rick Nielsen, Keith Richards, Ace Frehley. You know, guys like that. I was really into Angel and Punky Meadows was a big influence on me and bands like Stars, Richie Rano and Brendan Harkin, those guys, you know, so. Talk about rhythm, guitar playing and stuff like that. See if you agree with me. I think that one of the most underrated rhythm guys out there is Eddie Van Halen. Everybody talks about his lead playing, but nobody gives the guy credit for some of the rhythms that he comes up with. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. You, you listen to a lot of them. I mean, all of them. I mean, the rhythms of what that guy wrote back then was as catchy as the solos and the melodies of the songs. Yeah. To me, with a lot of three-piece bands where it's a guitar player, a drummer, and a bass player, the stuff tends to drop out when the guy goes in for the lead, but not with Van mm-hmm. Halen stuff, you know? No, no, not at all. That stuff held up real good. That, that that band was just, I mean, Van Halen, really, all of those guys, were, it was just a magical chemistry. But that band changed music mm-hmm. at that point, you know. I mean, everybody kind of turned around and go, what the hell is that? Yeah. And, uh, and then they became just enormous.
embrace the term glam. I never really saw you guys as a glam band, not to me, but mm-hmm. in a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the press then and now, it sort of labels you as such. Yeah, there's like in the early phase of the band, we were very image, you know, I mean, we we're always very image, but we were very glammy. Everybody was, mm-hmm. you know, New York Dolls driven and just Hanoi Rocks, you know, that was very where we came from what influenced us on the image you know not that we sounded exactly like them so it made sense and i guess you got to slap a tag on everything these days i mean when punk rock came out if you listen to it now the pistols and generation x and all that stuff it really it was it's really just rock and roll yeah you know they just got you know different pants and shirts and different haircuts i even grunge to a point is rock and roll right absolutely yeah 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 it's definitely for sure you've been in and around the music scene now for 30 plus years and i'm sure you've seen it all what do you think are some of the biggest changes the music scene has seen in your eyes as a musician and an artist and do you see pros and cons with it uh yeah i mean i think you could you could either look at it as like what's uh, the changes are no good or you can go like well you know what might not it might have changed this to this but this is good now and maybe that's not so great it's just kind of like you know the websites and and that social media stuff has become the magazines and Mm -hmm. the streaming has become the radio are the bands making less money yeah they are you know will that change i think it could and it should and and hopefully will and i think if everybody was making the money they were making back by selling units and you know a gold record now is what a hundred thousand or something like that or whatever. So, you know, it's just, it's the internet's changed the game of everything. So I think it's still a little too early to tell yeah. what's really going to happen, you know, cause it's changing rapidly. Not like it's not from vinyl, you know, vinyl and eight track to, you know, and then cassettes came in like a good five, six years later, you know, and then CDs another like five years. So, I mean, if you look back in the old days, the change of the way product was sold, It didn't change rapidly, but it didn't change slow either. Yeah, I mean, the way I view it, I think albums and music have generally become a tool or a vehicle of bands to get you out there playing live. And I think think the opportunities for bands like yourself have become increasing and have become better. Uh, and And then on the flip side... You don't got to listen really for the most part to a record label. You kind of, they kind of let you do your own thing. Exactly. Even you guys on Frontiers, right? They let you be mm-hmm. who you want to be. Yeah. We had total, total freedom, creative freedom. The song is, you know, I mean, they wanted a Jetboy record. They didn't want us to deliver, you know, something completely, whatever, not what we were. But yeah, I mean, there's some pluses and minuses to it. And at the end of the day, it's like, a lot of bands you sold more records back then, but a lot of those bands didn't, they got ripped off too. A lot of these labels sucked up the money. That pie shrunk down to a small piece by the time it got to each five guys. Right. I guess if anything you could do now is go audit these labels and see if there's any money sitting around. You yeah. know? Yeah. The word recoup was a big word back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and then on those contracts back then, there was nothing that's listed as streaming or MP3s. And so I wonder how, how strong that is where they're collecting all the money on these streams. And, you know, even though they own the masters and all that, but there's nothing in the contract that they're allowed to 
to collect on that. So, that, you know, it's, it's like fine line with all this shit. Yeah, hopefully it'll continue to get tweaked and down the road they'll it'll become much better for the artist, uh, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's got to. Yeah. It has to. It's only fair, you know. So Jet Boy's name comes up a lot when talking about the good old Sunset Strip days. Uh-huh. Especially with regards to the cat house, etc. Right. What were some of your recollections from those days? And do you have any stories that you want to share from the days of frequenting the cat house? Well, when the cat house started, it was, you know, Ricky Rackman wanted to start a cool place for all his friends and bands and stuff to hang out. And so when the cat house started, it was at this, it was at this venue called Oscos, which was across the street from the old record plant and kind of an old area, which was in LA that was happening and it, it wasn't that big the club was big but there wasn't like thousands or hundreds and thousands of people showing up it was really small yeah. and it was just the whole the underground local scene of Jeff Boy G and R Faster Pushing Out I would say those were the three key bands that were always there as Ricky said in his podcast recently the three bands that were always on the guest list <laughs> for life um, but then it you know it started just to uh, build and build and build and it just became this thing and it was really I, I think it had to do with a lot of the bands who you know we all put out records and then things started to break you know and it really was guns and roses and not so much poison because they were kind of part of that scene but not part of that cat house scene you know right yeah so um it was really the success of, success of guns and roses that i think took even that club and that whole cat house thing to another level but then by by that by 88 87 and 88 i mean la it was just oozing rock and roll i mean it was just it was mainstream it was everywhere all these bands were popping up and becoming successful you know so you know there were great times in the cat house we all hung out and there's there's tons of stories i mean everybody's got different ones you know but different recollections as well i'm guessing oh yeah everybody remembers different things for sure you know <laughs> Ricky's got his podcast and, uh, you know, treats it, treats it like story time. And, uh, you know, I always find it interesting, but you guys name comes up quite often on there with him. Uh, yeah. Ricky's always been a huge supporter and he's a great dude and he's had some great success and super proud of the guy for what he's done, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And he's a hardcore rock and roll fan and punk rock fan. I think that was a big separation of the band's, who were part of the early cat house and really part of the alumni of the true cat house is were the bands that had their foot in the punk rock pool as well. If you didn't, if you weren't part of like, you know, something didn't have something punk in your band, you know, yeah. you just didn't connect. And that, that's, you know, Jet Boy G and R and faster were very, we were very a part of that, you know, you know, that's a great point. I never really thought about that, but I absolutely see that with the three of you guys i mean each each one of the, the bands has definitely a punk influence with uh with you mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was that's a huge part i think there's a lot of uh bands that i idolized as a kid too even though it was maybe some of them were before punk but you know punk is really kind of going up against the system of what's mainstream you know yeah right on well, so 2019 uh saw you guys play your first monsters of rock cruise how was that for you? Uh, we had a great time. We were we were super just pumped just to, um, you know, finally be included in that, you know. And, you know, you see all these bands and we always want to do as much as we can within the means of what we can do. 
and so it was it was great to be part of it. I was really stoked when I first saw the lineup because I'm just like, wow, now this is a lineup to get for. Right. Unfortunately, two of the bands had to back out of it, which were the Wild Hearts and, and DAD. But Rose Tattoo being on the boat was just absolutely unbelievable for me personally, and they just. They just destroyed this that that whole thing for me. I thought they were just uh, never saw them. Always was a huge fan ever since Assault and Battery came out, their second album, and I just it was an incredible. I just was worshiping every friggin' note. Was that your first cruise ever, or have you have yep. you been? Uh, that was your first time yep. on a ship, okay? First cruise, yeah. Never been on a cruise. The only one was on TV watching the Love Boat. So. <laughs> Anything you particularly loved or perhaps not loved about that experience? Um, no, nah, you know, it was all really great. You know, I mean, I, the, the best part is to just walk down where the food and people are hanging out and just run into old friends, right. you know, Skid Row guys and the Kicks guys and stuff. And just, you know, just everybody's still doing it and everybody looks great and we're having a good time. And it's, you know, it's like 30 years later and, that whole movement of what we were a part of and part of creating just being really young and you know super into rock and roll that it's become that you know it's just right it's it's, it's amazing you know did you enjoy the fact that you're kind of intermingled with the fans and the everybody because everybody's right there i mean yeah for the most part i mean i think that's great i mean i know for some guys it's harder because they're a little bigger and some people you know, there's some guys that just don't, they're not into that. They just like to have their privacy or whatever. I could relate to that as well, but there's something cool about it. I look at it for myself. I'm like, you know, if I was on a, anywhere, like if there was a boat like that and it was the cheap trick guys and, and, you know, Kiss and ACDC, all the shit I grew up with would, of course, would never happen because they're all too big, but I'd be just in heaven, you know, I'd be asking questions for days, you know? Yeah. It wasn't an interesting experience for us. I mean, it was our first Monsters of Rock cruise as well. So let me ask you this. Do you see like an uptick in streams or even record sales after you do something like that? I think a little bit, you know, I think you see, we see, you know, we've really seen an uptick in general of just having a new record. I think that really is the one thing that kind of pumped things up a few notches for us. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it's just so hard in today's world and we just did not have the greatest timing as some of our other friends did. So it's, sure. it's still more challenging for us today. You know, I think we put out a great record and, all that but it's it's you know it's still not easy so but we're you know we're in it for a long haul because we love doing it and and uh, we never thought we'd be doing a new record 30 years later so who knows what's going to come down the pike next you know yeah you never know that's right yeah exactly
One thing I found interesting when I was doing research was when you think about guitar heroes like Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, George Lynch, Yngwie, whatever, etc. You think here are dudes that sleep, eat, drink guitar, and they like to tinker with the instruments. They're students of the instruments. But then here comes a guy like Billy Rowe. Let's talk rock and roll relics, because I don't think that Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of people that know this fact about you. And I certainly was surprised to find out you're the founder of the Rock and Roll Relics Guitar Company, right? Yes, I am. Yep. And yeah. from and from what I see, you produce some killer-looking pieces. How did all that come about? Uh, well, it all really goes back to when I was a kid, because when I got into guitar, I was always into... I got through school because of woodshop and art classes and all that. I was never a one with math and English class or whatever. History was never my thing, you know? My books were open and inside I had Cream Magazine, you know, so I just was always into tinkering with guitars. There was a good part part of, you know, through the Jet Boy days and all that. The early days I put together a few part guitars, you know, tallies and strats and painted some stuff. And then when we did the records, I, I really didn't do too much of that. But it was really when we moved back from L.A. and things kind of like everybody went their own way after we got dropped and stuff. I got into doing that shit again and. You know, here comes the internet, and I started seeing people doing this, like, what they were calling relic stuff, and so I started building a few for fun, and eventually I just like, you know, why don't I build a website and see if I can sell a few, and it just kind of, it was all like starting a band, you know, you start work, get some guys together, and start working on songs, and think up a name, and it was really, that's just how I know to do things, is it's all kind of like, same process as a band, and yeah, it just started taking off for me once I, you know, like, Probably about, I don't know, six, eight years ago, we just had to just start reaching out to some of my, some old friends that are, you know, who did well in music and still out there. And they started playing stuff and then just started taking off. You know, I got a sales guy and started getting stores and then I got a buzz and, you know, just more and more people are just picking them up that are, especially now that are in big bands, you know. That's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is cool. Who are some of your uh, more uh, famous clients that are playing your stuff? Yeah, well, the biggest one right now is Billy Joe Armstrong. He's like, loves my stuff. And okay. the last Green Day tour, it was his first guitar he played, the openings, you know, yeah. of the of the tour and all that for whatever. And then, you know, Gilby's got one. We did something with Bruce Kulick. I just got one to Dragon from Backyard Babies. He's blowing up on one right now. Um, Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. He just picked up a few, and they're on the road right now, and he's playing those through the show. And yeah, a couple of these other, like on the country level of stuff, there's producers and session guys that are using stuff as well. Sure. Uh, playing a lot of big records and stuff and, you know, smaller bands too that are just rock and roll guys. It's great. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's very yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. That's one of the things I love about this job. When you start doing some research, you find stuff that you're not going to find in the liner notes of an album. So that that kind of yeah, stuff right? is fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of these guys, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of these it was it was pretty happening for a lot of guys like Joe Perry and Rick Nielsen. You know, they had Joe had his hot sauce and Rick Nielsen's got a pizza place and yep. You know, it's got to be their passion. I think Joe's into cooking and making hot sauces. And so it's like just one of those things, you know, 
Eddie Van Halen's kind of one of the first guys who'd like, you know, he's got a whole brand now, but I mean, he made all the, put all those guitars back together himself in the old days. He painted the stripes with bicycle spray paint. And, yep. you know, so he's a, he's another one that did that, you know? Yeah. He's been very successful at it as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, so this year, 2019, you guys release a brand new full length record called Born to Fly on Frontiers Records. Yep. This was your first record with those guys. So how has it been working with Serafino and company? Oh, they've been awesome, man. They just, you know, everything just, you know, the door swung open with that out of the blue and we went through just saying, let's go for it. Yeah. Anthony, it was, it was easy. It was just even, I don't know, just to have a, someone like that offers a deal was flattering, you know? And I, I saw these bands and knew of the label and, saw that you know they had a lot of that 80s market from all those you know bands that we were part of the scene and all that so it's been it's been killer yeah i i say they're doing god's work man they're putting out some great stuff oh yeah it's, it's amazing you know i mean you gotta love that you know putting out you know vinyl and, and, and lps even which is it's incredible yeah no doubt so tell mm-hmm. me how does the writing process work with you guys for this album uh, this, you know, this album, it was the same, but yet a lot different in ways just because of technology and also because we all live in different areas now. Yeah. So we've always been the one to like Fern and I come up with a riff and he'll play something and I'll play something off it and write the next part. And Mick was always the lyricist, melody, word, you know, all that shit. We'd hand him music and he would write to it. And, and for this album, really most of that. It was done that way by him giving and giving music. But I got really into recording the last couple of years, and I got I'm pretty good with like Logic Pro, and so I could structure a whole song with drum parts and boom, everything, you know. Right. So that's kind of how we did it. Fern would come over, and we'd work on his parts, and then I'd compile them into a full structure with drum parts and everything. And then for my stuff, I would just, you know, I could sit down and just write all the rhythms and. And parts and then have Fern come over and, or give him a copy of it and he'd write to it, his parts to it. And that's really how this record came about and it was like so fun. It was like really painless, you know, no stress, nothing. That's awesome. Now you, you said you guys are all in different areas. Mm-hmm. You're out in LA, is that right? Yeah, I'm in LA again as of recently. So when we did this record and Fern was only about 20 minutes from me, so it was easy for him to come over at nighttime and just boom we just work on whatever and we just start recording and chopping it up and doing our thing and then i would just send stuff to mick through email mick lives in hawaii wow so uh yeah he wasn't going to be coming over to do anything on a regular basis <laughs> yeah no shit yeah I, I would like to live in hawaii <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> shit yeah and it was always that way drummer and bass player i mean ron it, our original drummer Ron was like a huge part of the band, of course, you know, but he didn't write any of the riff ideas and all that, but all his drums parts were, were his thing. You know, he wrote all that. So we were always very much as a five working unit, you know, people getting the credit back then, but things are just different now, you know, just how things are put together. You guys were a bit like a spinal tap in the way that you've had a few drummers over the years, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> We've had a few drummers and a few bass players. And, you know, I, I think of that all the time now because all 
still buddies with the LA gun guys and faster and all that. And, and it's like, I just thought of that the other day. I'm like, wow, man, we've all been through like dozens of <laughs> these guys in the band. And it's almost like comical, you know, even I saw a story on like when Steven Adler supposedly stabbed himself, I was reading the article and it goes down to all the past members. And I'm like, I couldn't even get to the bottom of it. I'm like, going, oh, there was like 40 guys. I'm like, this is crazy. You know, <laughs> Joe, the plumber, Mike, the guy down the street. Oh, it's unbelievable, man. I was like, I used to be blown away when, you know, Tom Peterson left cheap trick and they got, you know, Pete Comita and then John Brandt came in. I thought that was like wild, you know, but now it's like all these bands from the eighties, even white snake and, dock in it's like you don't know who you're gonna get uh completely i looked at your list and there's a couple of people that stand out because they're people that i i generally know so i know michael butler because he's also a podcaster right i know vaguely like i'm not friends with these people i know dk ravel because he's now in a band that's that's local here in atlanta called kicking valentina Oh, right, right. So I, I saw he was your singer for maybe a year or however long. Yeah. Not, not real long, but I know some of those things. And I heard some kind of infamous story about, was it you guys that canned Michael Butler on a answering machine or, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that was, that was Fern. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was on, Fern was on his podcast. And it, it was really in the moment how it happened because it was a lot of <laughs> bubbling shit that was going on at the time. And, and, and Butler kind of set himself up for it when you listen to it. He goes, oh, so what am I, am I being fired from the band on my <laughs> podcast? And Fern just goes, well, actually... Yeah, you are. <laughs> it just kind of happened in the moment, and it became this hot news. You know, it was the funniest thing in the world, man. I mean, you look back on it now, and it's like, oh my god, he wasn't planning to do that. Fern was not planning. I'm like, yeah, you're out. But because Butler brought it up, and it just struck a thing with Fern. You know, a quick wit. He goes like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, actually, why not? Like, you know, yeah, you're out. We don't want you in the van anymore. Oh my god. Well, I had no clue. Everybody was calling me about it, like new friends and. And like, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea what happened, you know? Uh-huh. Miller's out of the band. I'm like, oh, that's news to me. I, I don't know. Is he? You know? Did he quit? <laughs> I didn't know what was up. That makes great for podcasting, I guess. Oh, uh, people eat that shit up. <laughs> yeah, because you were or are in a cover band with Michael, right? The Butlers? Yeah, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, they're coming down to L.A. next week. We have two shows down here with uh, Mick Cripps from L.A. Guns. has a band called The Brutalists with Nigel Mogg from the Choir Boys is the singer now, or singing now. And then we're doing a couple shows together. And also, there's another band called Joe Normal and the uh, Annie Towners, which Joe was from the Zeros. And the other guitar player, Michael Lockwood, was in Lions and Ghosts. So it's all these old school rock guys just having fun. I met the nicest guy from the Choir Boys on the boat, and he talked mine and my wife's ears off. And he was so freaking nice. Uh, it was uh, one of the guitar players. I don't. Yeah, it was Griff. Griff, or was the uh, the British? Is there uh, the other guy? Is the other guy a British guy too? Or no, this guy was definitely a British guy. Was it was it Griff? I don't think so. That doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, okay, he okay was, then it's the other guy. I don't know him. I know Griff, and he's the only one I know because he's one of the two originals that are still with the band. So I don't know the other guy. But yeah, I met him though. Super nice guy. Super nice man. Him and his wife. Yeah. They just. <laughs> I thought we were gonna literally go out to dinner after talking in the elevator for uh what seemed like about a half hour it was amazing but uh, yeah very cool so some of the standout tracks for me on born to fly i think this is a really really solid record and 
the standout tracks for me are Beating the Odds, Born to Fly, Broken Hearted Daydream, I absolutely love. I think it would have been a hit back in the, you know, the mid eighties or whatever. And a little bit easy, I like quite a bit as well. Cool. How has the album been received overall for you guys? It's gotten like fantastic feedback and reviews for the people that like you and a few magazines that have picked it up. They've all given it these stellar reviews. There's like I haven't read anything bad about it. Yeah. You know, they start off kind of like, well, I really wasn't a huge fan of Feel the Shake or whatever or the band, but this album completely changed me. I read that, you know, I don't know how many times, but anyways, when I read stuff like that, that I like to read because I'm like, well, that's cool because kind of like a big compliment. But overall, the the record's been received great. You know, I agree. I think we we all did a solid record. I think we went in thinking we're going to do another record. I think... Fern and I had a little better idea. Like, I think we really could do something great, you know? Yeah. And everybody was blown away by the time it was done, you know? So, yeah. You got a train, com- you got a train yeah, coming a tra- through there? I'm, I'm, there's, tr- there's a train. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to hear some noise on the podcast because there's a train behind me. And I'm at, I'm at my shop now and kind of can't get rid of the train noise. So. I would like to point out that my editing and noise reduction skills are awesome, but I can't do oh, anything good. with the train. Well, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> just, you, just, you can put a little joke in there that we got the uh, Blackfoot train train, Shorty Medlock coming through. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so I, yeah. gave, I gave you some of my favorite tracks. Give me a couple of yours off this new record. Yes, I love those ones that you, you say, you know, Born to Fly, I think, is great. It's kind of the one I thought was going to be the first single just because it just kind of sets the precedence for what the band's really known for. Right. But Beating the Odds is just, you know, a ripping. Love it. Stop! 
every song has a place for me and you know broken hearted daydream i really like you know i'm really into the bluesy stuff so i really like smoky ebony the slide one you love the slide don't you yeah i love that stuff i'm super into it and i love the uh, the way that you moved me was kind of the one i, I really got into working on that one deeply because it was you know it's like kind of a ballady one but it's it's more like a, a Rod Stewart faces meets Stonesy, you know, with a little bit of a kind of like a ELO vibe in it, funny enough. Yeah. Which might suck. But, you know, a little bit easy is great. You know, desperation is great. Do you enjoy playing any of them in particular live? Oh, yeah. Be- beating the odds yeah. is fun as hell to play live. Yeah. Born to Fly is awesome to play live. Love it. Hearted Daydream is fun. Uh, we'd love to start playing more. I mean, that's one thing Fern always brings up every time we do shows. He wants to do all of them, you know, I'm like, right. or at least all the, you know, ones that would make sense to put into a rock set, you know. I think it'd be cool to do the ballady one, but kind of hard when you're just at the level we're at. But it's a strong record, you know. I think, I think if a lot of people heard it that don't know the band or know the history or just, you know, are fans of that era that just missed us. Yeah, because of our our mishap and our timing, that would be like, wow, this is a great record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. I'd lo- I'm ready to do another one. I, I mean, I could sit and write songs all day and do that, especially of that style. I just I love it. I've got 
I probably got at least 15 ideas already. One is already recorded completely. I just got to send it to Nick, you know, so. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you continue to write? And uh, uh, that way, basically, when it's time to do a new one, you'll have a new one, so. Yeah, as I told everyone, I said, you know, let's just start writing stuff now. And I I just can't even help it. I just kind of like, even if it goes nowhere, I have a ton of my own stuff that just has been sitting on a hard drive, probably 15 songs, you know, so just complete, just all me, you know, so uh, maybe they'll see the light of day sometime. Absolutely. Well, before we let you get out of here, because we don't want to suck up your entire day, you got guitars to make, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do a little bit of a lightning round at the end. So I'll just rattle off a few questions. Just answer them as quick as, as you can. Okay. Okay. Don't worry. Uh, just don't overthink it. It's really simple stuff. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. Kiss or Hanoi rocks. Oh, these kind of questions. Yeah. Oh, man. Do I have to come up with some sort of manipulating way to get both in there? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Pick one. <laughs> it's a tough one because it's personal, too, because exactly. those guys are those guys are friends. But Kiss was my that was my gateway to get me to Hanai Rocks and being a fan of that. So We have a saying on the show here that says all things start with Kiss. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. For me, it was Kiss, Ace Frehley, yep. Kiss Alive. There you go. Yeah. Favorite Kiss tune? Favorite Kiss tune. Oh, wow. Now that's another tough one. Oh, God. I don't know. I could I could go something like Mr. Speed. Mr. Speed is my co-host Hollywood's favorite Kiss tune. He will tell you that. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock.
I mean, I could go to talk to me and I can go down that, that route too, you know, save your love. And yeah. Two timer coming home. Changes hourly. Uh, yeah. We, we yeah. go for it, but breakfast or dinner? I'll go dinner. Yeah. Favorite guitar shape. Favorite guitar shape. Single cut hollow body. White Falcon. Yeah, I quite like your lightning uh, rock and roll yeah. relic guitar. I could say that and pump my business, but, you know, still. <laughs> yeah, that, that guitar shape, that's that's like a, a hollow body E. Yeah, it's like a 335 style. Yeah. But it's got the lightning bolt F-holes, yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Band or artist you would love to play with? Or you mean like sitting in with a band? I mean, ACDC, I'll I tell Stevie to step aside for a minute. Yeah, okay. Take, f- take five. Okay, and what <laughs> song would you play? Um, oof, oof, oof. Jesus, that's a tough one too. I'd probably go with, uh, uh, let's say, I said Gone Shooting. Ah, that's a great choice, man. Little Powerage for you. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, right. I like it. Go. I like it. All right. This one's going to be a pain in your ass, but got to ask it. Two Desert Island albums for you. You get to take two albums to a desert island. What's it going to be? Whoa, let's see. Uh, well, let's go like in the moment I'm thinking right now. It would be, uh, God, I always say back in black. I'll do, I'll do that, even though I'm, I lean more Bond, but back in black is just monstrous. And the other would be Heaven Tonight. Heaven Tonight. Cheap trick. All right. That's a good mixture of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. I get pretty juiced up on the Mutt Lang production. I'm a really sucker for that. Too, yeah, so. there's nothing wrong with that. Favorite band you saw on Monsters of Rock Cruise? Rose Tattoo. Yeah. I kind of thought you might uh, say that. You were over the moon with that band, so... Over the moon and Kicks was great. Those are our buddies and they were great. Skid Row was great, but I Rose Tattoo is a band from the seventies, so it's more like that childhood thing that I never saw and I just love what they do. Yeah. That's very cool. Well Billy, you've been awesome, man. What's next for Jet Boy? Uh we have a couple shows in September and uh we have a new video for uh old dog new tricks going to be releasing it once we're kind of getting a a plan together on releasing it and i hope in the next few weeks that's going to happen so but that'll be the next thing and then these shows and then uh we're actually working on this cover song idea that we'll see what happens once we uh, do the demo version of it if it's gonna see the light of the day but it's gonna be definitely an out of the box different thing to do Cool. We will tie together all the links to jetboyrocks.com where you can find all the latest information on Jetboy and concert dates, etc., etc. We'll also tie in rockandrollrelics.net where you can go check out the guitars and uh, pick up a guitar. Billy would appreciate that, right? Yes, sure would. (laughs) So before we cruise out of here, is there anything that I missed or didn't cover? No, I think we covered pretty much everything. Just, you know, let the people who listen, they go pick up Born to Fly and spread the word. And the more we can get that out, the more active we can get. You want to pick a song off uh, Born to Fly to play us out? Sure. I'll just go with Old Dog New Tricks because that's going to be the next video. Thanks, Billy. I appreciate you. No problem, man. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.